On this episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, we take a look at what looms ahead for Manchester United manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and we pose the all-important question, who would you vote for to add to the current U.S. men's national team roster? Hello and welcome to the Nesson Soccer Podcast. It is Thursday afternoon. I am Mark, joined by Marcus. Marcus, how you doing? Very good, thanks. Those things right. on your end. Uh, it's it's okay. It's uh, you know any like any other week, right? Um, <laughs> plugging along here. There is a lot to look forward to actually uh, from a soccer perspective. Next week there is an international break. Euro qualifying gets going and Nations League and Commonwealth World Cup qualifying uh, continues. But it's a very exciting international break for the U.S. men's national team as they have just announced their roster of 24 names to play against Wales and Panama over in Europe. The first game will be Thursday, November 12th against Wales in Wales while the second game will be on Monday the 16th against Panama in Austria, because that's the way the world works now. And <laughs> the main excitement is not really the opponents, but the names on the roster. Uh, this, this international window has been targeted for some time now as the return of U.S. soccer, but all the names that you know have been part of this youth movement are there, and it is a 100% or there are no MLS names on the roster, but it's it's uh, everybody you're thinking. Christian Pulisic, Giovanni Reyna, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Serginio Dest, Zach Steffen, and more <laughs> will all be in a U.S. men's national team camp together. And hopefully we'll take the field together really for the first time uh, under the U.S. flag, I guess you'd say. And it's a very exciting situation just because it in a lot of ways you could mark this as the true beginning of the next phase of u.s soccer i mean i guess the build-up to the new beginning has been underway for a while but you know this is the mark of them with the national team so marcus does any of that get you excited you know despite these being friendlies uh knowing me as well as you know me uh why don't you answer that i bet you I don't, you know, Marcus, I think there is a part of you that is, even if it's only slight, just slightly more interested in these friendlies than pretty much any friendly you could ever be interested in. Mark, you are absolutely right. Uh, to answer your question, no, I'm not particularly excited Yeah. because this still isn't the, it's still an experimental U.S. national team. As anybody as most people listening to this podcast know, after the United States failed to qualify for the World Cup in 2018, they spent uh, really the last two years in the wilderness. Uh, they went a year under a caretaker uh, management system. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wrote those games off. And then uh, this year, after Greg Berhalter took over as head coach, uh, they got together in January and February for uh, what is commonly known as Camp Cupcake which is largely domestic, uh, domestic players, uh, MLS players. And, you know, those you might find maybe some of them are playing in Mexico, but they're in their off season. So it's really tough to gauge 
where the national team stands, then um, as uh, you know, we've had this pandemic that we're still dealing with that wiped out a lot of international games, um, wiped them all out for, you know, really March through uh, October. The United States didn't play in October. So for the November international break, they're finally getting ready, but it's still not the number one, uh, the A1 U.S. men's national team. Yeah. So that's why I'm not particularly excited. I am yeah. excited because there are a lot of players, uh, particularly the ones you mentioned, like McKinney, Tyler Adams, Pulisic, uh, Gio Reyna, of course, his debut, who I'm really excited to see. I'm really excited to see them play together, how they'll gel. So, uh, yeah, this isn't our A1 U.S. national team. It's not exactly a B. It's 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 a weird mix between A's and C's and D's, you know? And just so, like youth, yeah. Like you got like Timothy Weah in there. He's still a very young player and hopefully will develop more, even though he's kind of fallen off in the past right. couple of years. The, you know, what, what excites me is that this is going to be, uh, some of these names are going to make up, you know, the, the big USA team when competitive games begin. And anybody that listens to this podcast regularly knows how I feel about friendlies and uh, games that don't count. I usually don't watch them or pay attention unless something, you know, something drastic happens or if there's a big matchup. But yeah, I guess this would satisfy my uh, USA men's national team fix that uh, I've, you know, weaned myself off of. I, I went years uh you can even say decades watching every single game that this yeah. team played and uh yeah i haven't really done that in the last uh couple years and um you know now we're starting to get back to the point where the games that they play will be meaningful will count um they'll be played under uh I don't think these, these, these two friendlies, but, you know, looking forward into 2021, you know, we'll get back to three substitutions and, you know, we'll, we'll start yeah. seeing the real team out there. So uh, just looking at the names, this looks like about half the team. So to answer your question, yeah, I'm half excited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take that Marcus. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I do think there's a bit of a, uh, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but an idea out there that uh, MLS players um, are at a point with, with all this young talent coming up in Europe, that being an MLS player and not getting into a European squad is somehow going to leave you off the national team. And like, sure, the, the competition might be higher at some European clubs, but at a certain point, I mean, you look at, you know, some of the men's national team players and, and where they actually are and what clubs are with, uh, you know, it's like being on an MLS team and playing every week is not that far off of a competitive balance. And it's just, you you know, also you got to deal with coronavirus right now. So I wouldn't read too much into various MLS players being left off of this roster. There yeah, are certainly and, and, and some right now. And it's worth noting that this roster was put together 
as um, because the MLS season is still playing, the playoffs are coming up, yeah. and due to the uh, potential dangers of intercontinental travel, U.S. soccer decided let's put a European-based team together. Yeah. Um, so that's that's why the roster looks like it does. Um, for years, I've been writing about uh, how I believe it is. Uh, some players earn caps a little too easily, uh, particularly players based in Europe. You know, they get in their respective club team for a month or two. They get a run of games and all of a sudden they're called up. Uh, I would like to see a higher standard for uh, players receiving call-ups, which is, mm -hmm. you know, you have to be in your team not only regularly, but there has to be also an element of success that your team is achieving. Um and, you know, not only playing well, but playing. I, I think all that is a rising tide that would uh, lift all these individual boats into one great Titanic of a U.S. <laughs> national team. Sorry, that was wildly <laughs> overblown. Uh, hey, Marcus, you know, I'm, I'm buying in, too. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there is, ultimately, when I look at the players and just the potential – it's, it's, there is a gigantic potential there to be truly competitive, even if it only ends up being for like one World Cup, like that all the players are actually at this sort of like world class level. You know, that World Cup will, you know, we saw what Croatia did in the last World Cup. They reached the final with their golden age, you know, roster. And now in the next World Cup, you know, Croatia probably won't be that strong because of aging roster, whatever. And like just each, there are times when a country reaches a, a very, a certain potential and either they capitalize on that time in that three, four year window or they fail. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it, another good comparison is probably Chile. Chile had a, a golden age and won a bunch of South American trophies and didn't quite reach it at the world cup stage. But I mean, they won trophies and and had uh, a great run of of a few years. Yeah. So you know, there's no reason. I think that it's safe to say at this point that the U.S. has the talent to, you know, hopefully develop in a, a stretch of time like that. You know, will does this mean we're suddenly going to be decades on uh, a world power in soccer? I'm not going to say that, but it's just it's a beginning, and beginnings are nice, especially these days. Um, but I don't want to run too long on the national team. I will say there will be a lot to look forward to with this club, not just, uh, by everything we've just mentioned, but I mean, if you just look at each individual player, like it, the stories go on and on with how good they are. And there's a massive amount of diversity on the squad, certainly something for the country to kind of rally behind. Dare I say, and uh, I I think the sky is really the limit for this this group of players. Um, but as far as next week, I just really want to see, um, and very specifically, Pulisic, Reyna, McKenney, Tyler Adams, Serginho Dest, all in the outfield at the same time. That's five players. I don't care who the other five are that take the field with them. I want to see those five on the field at the same time and uh, just see what develops for like at least a half of soccer. Uh, yeah. that, that's really all I'm hoping to get out of this week. But well, it, sound, it sounds like you two are half excited. 
just about. Yeah. Uh, but Marcus, uh, we had a very interesting question posed to us this week. And um, that was, if you could put any player in U.S. soccer history. Well, in- let me let, let me stop you right there. Okay. Because, All right. Uh, I have to shout out Howard. Uh, okay. Howard, he's, he's, he's my guy. Howard Zalkowitz is the uh, senior coordinating producer and director of production at Nesson. Uh, he is a, uh, let's call him a higher up, for lack of a better word, <laughs> also a massive soccer fan, uh, insightful. Uh, we reached out to him and tried to get him uh, in to uh, join us for at least this question. But, uh, you know, he's always got opinions and a lot to say on the U.S. national team. He's watched the U.S. national team for a long time and uh, he knows his stuff. So uh, shout out to Howard who asked us this question. Go ahead, Mark. The question was, if you could take any player in the history of the U.S. men's national team and put them into the current player pool to be called up at any time, I'm assuming we're pretty much going to say in their prime, um, you know, who would that be? Uh, And I don't know, Marcus, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, You can go first. Okay. I hope I'm not stealing your guy. I would go with Jermaine Jones. Ah. Yeah. So what I think is there are many exciting players. And honestly, I think Weston McKinney might kind of check off a lot of what Jermaine Jones does. But I do sense that the sort of heightened level of, of fire and intensity that the U.S. men's national team was sort of known for during the height of Jermaine Jones's career is maybe the one area that is slightly dipped backward with the current player pool. Um, I think Weston McKinney brings a lot of fire every game he plays and is definitely a passionate player and, like, will show that. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Christian Pulisic, for all of his talent, is, you know, he seems pretty quiet on the field unless he's, like, scored a goal. And um, I think that trait is more common than than the other. So I think bringing in a guy like Jermaine Jones, who is just going to get nasty out there, uh, would be, you know, just having one player like that sometimes can just lift things to another level. So that's my guy. Great pick. Uh, Mark, you know, I hate when this happens on this show. You Uh, didn't pick Jermaine Jones. I didn't, but okay. the player I picked, uh, I actually picked him for similar reasons okay. as you. Um, I'm going to go with Clint Dempsey. One, uh, you know, does he fit into, uh, well, I'll play off of Howard here. Howard picked a player. Um, I'm not going to name him just in case he ever comes on, but uh, not the player. I mean, Howard uh, picked a player who said the U.S. is in you know, who need the U S needs a target man for this, uh, you know, for this pool, this cycle, um, a big forward who can link up, play, hold up the ball, get his teammates in the game. Clint Dempsey is not that type of player, but what Clint Dempsey does is score goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, this team, uh, with all due respect to, uh, Timothy Weah, Josh Sargent, um, I'm looking at this forward list. Uh, Josh Sargent actually won't join up with the team because Werder Bremen is not allowing their internationals to travel. Um, 
I'm looking at this this list of forwards and I'm thinking, other than Pulisic, where are the goals coming from? Right. Uh, Clint Dempsey will get you goals, but also to play on your uh, point about Jones, he plays with a uh, competitive edge, a nastiness, a fire. Sure, it could boil over sometime. But I look at um, I look at this list of uh, USA players and I see a lot of nice guys. Um, right, <laughs> exactly. I, uh, I I recently took the plunge and joined Instagram. I <laughs> follow uh, some of these players on Instagram, and they all seem uh, they all seem very nice. Yeah, sure, they're they're kids, but uh, you know, I I loved Dempsey as a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played with uh, he played with with panache with swag. Uh, he would get in people's faces. He would yell at his teammates. He would yell at opponents, referees. Um, I, you know, I, I just love the uh, the chip on his shoulder that he carried throughout his career, and I mean that in a good way. Uh, yeah, Dempsey. Dempsey would be great for all of these guys, especially this young group, to show them, you know, maybe the mentality that you might need to get more out of your career than. Uh, anybody expected. Um, right. I remember when Clint Dempsey, when the revolution drafted Clint Dempsey, uh, there was, you know, I didn't know who he was or where he came from. And when they made that pick, you could not tell me that this player was going to be the all-time leading or up there. I think he's tied for the all-time lead in uh, goals for the U S national team. Yeah. Um, I, I, he was a defensive midfielder when the revolution drafted him oh my God. Uh, little, I, little, little known fact. Um, he played in the U 20 player pool in the midfield and as a professional, he just became an attacker and what an attacker, but it wasn't down to necessarily athletic ability. Um, wasn't the most technically gifted player. He was a, you know, he had great technique, but you know, he wasn't a magician with the ball. Uh, Dempsey, drive, determination, self-belief. When the United States men's national team was great uh, relative to their history, it was because of that psychological edge that they played with. And uh, they haven't had it for many, many years. So Dempsey. Yeah. And uh, again, I mean, like we kind of said this next week, these are friendlies and it's, um, there are certainly MLS players that uh, would have been involved or would be involved in a, you know, first first team roster. Uh, but you know, a a big year in 2021 coming for the men's national team. Uh, you're going to have another Gold Cup, World Cup qualifying. Also, there will be uh, in the I believe the first half of the year qualifying for the Olympics. And then if you were to qualify, the Olympics themselves would take place uh, in August next year. Um, So if the U.S. manages to qualify for that, you know, you're looking at an extremely packed schedule of very legitimate games where the rosters will be split up anyway. So I think that what's going to happen is this U.S. men's national team, all the players will kind of get used to seeing new faces on a regular basis. And I think that's only positive, at least at this stage, to get as familiar with as many people in the player pool as possible moving into, uh, you know, the kind of the tail end of qualifying and then 
hopefully the 2022 World Cup itself. Um, but yeah, Marcus, I, I think that was a good U.S. men's national team chat. I, do you have anything you want to add to it before we move on? No, uh, no. Said what I had to say. Yeah. I, you'll hear more about the men's national team from us uh, as things start to heat up for them. But a team that's uh, just seems like uh, the whole, the head coach, the star player, maybe even ownership beginning to, to be on the hot seat is Manchester United. Uh, you know, in, in the cellar of the Premier League at 15th place, losing Champions League matches, uh, one of their worst starts in, in decades. Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin with Manchester United. We've talked about them at several different points. And like, you kind of think about how much gripe we've been given Barcelona over the past few weeks. I mean, Manchester United's situation seems worse and seems like a, a more difficult hole to climb out of with how competitive the Premier League is. Um, but yeah, Marcus, I mean, wh- what has gone on with Manchester United in the past week, in the past month, and just what has led to this this kind of period in their history overall? Before I answer that question, you know, I was wondering to myself, do we talk too much about teams that are struggling or, mm-hmm. you know, these that these calamities? It seems week in and week out, it's like, oh, which team is in a rut now? Which manager is on the brink? And I think it's due to where we are in the calendar year. You know, first half of the season, we're, we're looking at who's underachieving. And then right. the second half of the season, you know, who's who's out there playing well, who's balling, and who, uh, who might be in the hunt for trophies. So yeah. if anybody out there is wondering why we're always kicking horses when they're down or maybe not even <laughs> dead, uh, I think that's why. It's just the way the news cycle works. But Manchester United, how did it get to this point? Well, oh boy, where do we start? Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons. So after they reached the uh, Champions League, this season, they, they snuck into fourth place at the end of uh, last season's Premier League. They achieved their objective. Um, and then what happened over the summer? They had a very underwhelming transfer window. Uh, Donny van de Beek arrives. Edinson Cavani arrives. But they didn't sign their big target, Jaden Sancho. So they didn't get that boost that, you know, a real marquee number one signing brings one that lifts the club and energizes the fan base. Uh, They also had a very short preseason. They went to the Europa League final and that went all the way into late August. And the new season started about two weeks later. Man United had the first week off, but when they returned, they were still, um, you know, they, they never really got as much of a rest as other teams that finished up at the end of July. Uh, And what that did was leave existing problems uh, unaddressed, namely a shaky goalkeeper situation. I don't know what has happened to David De Gea in the last two and a half, three years. Uh, Their defense still missing. You know, they spent a lot of money on Harry Maguire last year, still missing pace. Um, You know, they can they can be opened up uh, or they can be caught out on the counterattack, as we saw on uh, on Wednesday against Istanbul, Basak Sehir, um, their midfield isn't, uh, they don't play with any fluidity. 
I don't uh, that I see. So there are all these problems that dated back to you know well over a year, and the spotlight points to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, he's the manager who uh, he was sort of he he was a not a star player but a star role player. Um, you know we can call him a super sub on some great United teams. He worked under Sir Alex Ferguson in his uh, managerial apprenticeship. Um, Manchester United, uh, after the loss on Wednesday, you know, talk about his job bubbled up, which is why I'm talking about him now. Uh, he declined to comment about it after the game. He says, you know, I'm, I'm here, I have a contract, all the things managers are supposed to say. Uh, yeah. Sky Sports reported on Wednesday, no, he's not on the brink of losing his job, uh, citing Manchester United sources. That's what they tell Sky Sports. Uh, Man United, I, I saw this fun fact, the earliest they've ever fired a manager in the post-war years was Ron Atkinson, who departed on November 6th, 1986. <laughs> Today is November 5th. I Getting don't, to be about that time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think Solskjaer is going to break that record, but... He is definitely on the brink. Um, you know, Manchester United being in 15th place. Uh, is he going to... Normally, I would say Man United would play out the season, see if he can get them into the top four, see if he can get them into the Champions League. I'm not sure what the quarter, uh, what the target is. I would say quarterfinal, semifinal. Um, but there's one name that is lurking out there he's out of work and i i don't you know it's not known but it's it's understood that mauricio pochettino would be interested in taking the man united job uh he was on sky sports on monday uh he was looking good had uh <laughs> what, do, what do they call it the salt and pepper beard and he's growing his hair out uh Pochettino was fired, I think, a little over, maybe about a year ago from Tottenham. Yeah. Um, he's rested, recharged. He's waiting for the right job. And just today, on uh, Thursday, November 5th, the Manchester Evening News reported that Manchester United made contact with Pochettino's representatives. So, contact. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> you know, the dance of hiring and you know, luring a new manager in, I think it has begun. Uh, if anybody would know that story well, it's the Manchester Evening News. I think it was uh, Sam Lockhurst was the, uh, Samuel Lockhurst. He's, you know, one of the guys on the ground and one of the best. He's got the scoop. So Manchester United, you know, they say this is a club that does things the right way and blah, blah, blah. They wouldn't go behind the manager's back. But look what they did with, David Moyes, look what they did with Louis Van Hall. Uh, ever since Sir Alex Ferguson, they've always gone behind somebody's back, lined up another manager. So I believe uh, Pochettino is in line for that Manchester United job. Uh, Man United will play Everton on uh, Saturday morning. And if they lose, going into the international break, yeah. these are the times when managers get fired, when clubs make changes. Uh, they have that two-week window. So if it doesn't happen now, maybe they stick with Solshire. Um, the question is, how much worse are they willing to allow this situation to become? Uh, but this Man United season has been a roller coaster. It's down right now. They haven't won in uh, six, 
uh, six Premier League games, their last home games, but um, the last six home games, sorry. But it could go back up. They had big wins over PSG. They beat RB Leipzig. Um, but one thing I know about big clubs is that inconsistency means you're generally not in the running for the big prizes. So uh, roller coaster equals inconsistency equals Solskjaer on the brink. And uh, yeah, I would expect to see Maurizio Pochettino in that job uh, by this time next year. Marcus, I know it's, I, a, it's a safe, you know, it's a safe call, uh, you know, by the summer, really. Well, I think uh, I, I, I kind of hope you're right. I hope Pochettino comes to Man United. But I think regardless of Pochettino, it's just whoever comes in to Man United next not only needs to get along with Paul Pogba, they need to maximize Paul Pogba's potential. Pogba is 27 years old. I still believe he is one of the best players in the world if he is put in the position to be the, the sum of his parts, his maximum potential. And if you can do that, I think he is of the level where, you know, he more or less, I don't want to say carry a whole team, but certainly a team with an, the, the amount of pieces that Manchester United does have can sort of carry things for you for a year or two in his prime and then give a new manager time to bring in and develop and, and construct and mold the, the team that they want. Um, but I think Paul Pogba is uh, the key for whoever the manager is, including Solskjaer right now and whoever comes in the future. Um, it, it will, he'll always be a key. He's their best player, potentially their best player. Uh, whoever arrives at Manchester United to replace Solskjaer, if they replace him, will find the same problems uh, above him. And I'm speaking at board level um, that have afflicted Manchester United for the last seven plus years. Um, so you can be the greatest X's and O's and man manager out there. But if the institution above you is not operating at, uh, you know, if it's not operating like a well-oiled machine, you can only do but so much. Right. Okay. Well, as you said, Marcus, we don't want to hammer uh, a dead horse too much. So let's get into our matches of the weekend. Um, I'll start with, uh, I'll be watching Borussia Dortmund take on Bayern Munich. That's Saturday at 1230 Eastern. Um the main reason, I mean, this has been pretty much the top match in Germany in the Bundesliga for, I don't know, three or four years now. And the they are both tied in first place at 15 points apiece, um, alone in first place together. The five wins, zero draws, and one loss for each club. Um, I, I just, you know, I want to see – it seems like every year – Dortmund gets off to the, the good start and they keep pace with Bayern Munich. Then they actually play Bayern Munich and they lose like four to one. And, you know, three weeks later, Dortmund has dropped another match and Bayern Munich is six points ahead. And you say, all right, that's the Bundesliga. It's over in December. And I just want to see if Dortmund can finally come out and, you know, flip the script, at least keep us interested, you know, into March. Um, and keep eyes on the Bundesliga a little longer than most years. Um, but, yeah, Marcus, what about you? I would, uh, just on that game, 
every time it comes around twice a season in the Bundesliga. I always get up for it. And Dortmund always lets me down. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, look through the results. They, they, every time. And it's never like a tight game or a controversial contested. No, it's right. Bayern blows them away. Anyway, my game, Manchester City against Liverpool, 1130 a.m. on Sunday on Peacock. Liverpool, top of the league right now, even without Virgil van Dijk. Uh, going up against Manchester City, who those of uh, those of you who listened last week know are struggling. Uh, they're in 10th place. They're five points behind Liverpool. If Liverpool gets eight points ahead of Manchester City, uh, you know, former Man City defender Richard Dunn called this game potentially a season decider, uh, which is strange because it's early November. The season is going to run through May. But Man City is thought to be Liverpool's biggest challenger. Uh, if Liverpool goes up eight points, you, I think it's still too early to write them off, but uh, that's that's a huge mountain to climb. I think Richard Dunn is wrong. It's not a season decider, but if it goes the wrong way, it could seal Pep Guardiola's fate at Manchester City. Mm-hmm. And it's not a... Now, I wouldn't say Manchester City would get rid of him after the game during this break um during this uh, november international break but i do believe that it will be one next step in a chain of events that will see pep guardiola depart manchester city by christmas Whew. i like your prediction marcus uh well just all the more reason to watch And uh, I think that does it for our show. But before we get going, I just want to bring you our Zlatan quote of the week. Uh, (laughs) uh, I'm just, I just checked out his Twitter page. Uh, This is actually a couple days ago, but uh, he tweeted out a picture. It was, it's kind of like a painting of himself in the Swedish national team Jersey saying with the caption, long time, no see. Ah, uh, ah. retired from the Swedish national team, uh, 2016, 17, 14. Wow. And, um, you know, he's obviously back to, you know, very high form and certainly for Sweden, you know, could be as good of a player as any that they could select. So will he return to international play? Stay tuned. Zlatan always keeps you on the edge of your seat. Very good. Yeah. Marcus, thank you for joining me. And I look forward to talking to you again very soon um to all the listeners uh thanks you for listening once again please continue to follow us on nesson.com slash podcast and on spotify and itunes by just searching nesson soccer podcast where you can subscribe download like comment do all that stuff let us know how we're doing and uh thanks and we'll see you soon Why's you must have been old? Come and get the rope, the rebel radio.